0: Thank you. Right, guys welcome back to revive school still wearing the plaid shirt which means probably a country songs coming out today uh, we're in lesson 61 psalm 74 uh, and uh you know you got to do something when you're talking about this a song a psalm of lament that's what it is today it, it's not a good situation here you have a, a a writing of asaph a mascal of asaph asaph just fyi uh, we're going to get into him just a little bit here because it's pretty intriguing about you know Asaph's attributed to eleven to twelve psalms uh, in the book of Psalms. Now usually it's Asaph, He man, and Ethan, also known as Jeduthun, and they're all Levites. Okay, so this is kind of your backdrop. They they served as mus- as musicians. They were worship leaders at the sanctuary during David's reign. Okay, so that was kind of the the mentality. Uh, And here's another thing about Asaph. Asaph was to establish, and I like what Constable says here, he used to establish uh, guilds, G-U-I-L-D-S, guilds for their sons and other musicians so that they could continue on the worship tradition, okay? So to have things in place, to have things in motion. Now, here's the interesting part about whether or not this is Asaph. Some would say, because of the timing of what we would propose, Maybe this is a namesake, somebody in the lineage of Asaph, maybe not necessarily Asaph. So throwing that out there, because remember the discussion that we had with the Davidic and the Solomonic, Solomonic, that sounds like Salmanilla or something. So anyway, you know, like, is David writing this for his son? Is this Solomon writing in third person? The timing of Asaph writing this. it could be, maybe it was another family member. Again, not going to just say either way, but just again, want to present what you hear because Here's why it's a psalm of lament. Uh, you know, on the national scene, uh, as you're writing this, uh, Warren Wearsby says it really well. There is a writing and a destruction about the destruction of the temple. So they're distraught. The destruction of the temple in Jerusalem by the Babylonians, Babylonians has taken place. So there's a psalm of lament of like, whoa, what just happened? And you're going to see that in the very first verse right away. You're going to see this. And in, 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 I like what um, MacArthur says. It's like it feels like the Lord has rejected them. And that's what you're going to see. Why have you rejected us forever, God? Why does your anger burn against the sheep of your pasture? Remember, God's people are known as sheep. So when it just says, why does your your anger burn against the sheep of your pasture? Remember, uh, when you're talking about the, the destruction of a temple, you're talking about the home base, right? You're talking about the fold. So why does your anger burn against the sheep of the pasture? Like, where's my home if you're not here? So, God, it feels like you're rejecting us. It feels like you're abandoning us. But we know that that's not true. We know that clearly God has a covenant. He clearly has a promise with his people. In fact, Deuteronomy 4, 30, and 31. But from there, you'll search for the Lord your God and you'll find him when you seek him with all of your heart and all of your soul. When you're in distress and all of these things have happened to you, You'll return to the Lord your God in later days and obey him. Verse 31. He will not leave you, destroy you, or forget the covenant with the fathers that he swore to them by oath, because the Lord your God is a compassionate God. Make sure you even think about the, the compassionate King that we were even talking about yesterday. But it would be really hard if all of a sudden your home base of where the presence of God dwells is no longer there. It might actually feel like. I mean, Kevin, you talked about a couple of days ago, the, the words that we were describing about how God moves in the past. Your word was house. Imagine if all of a sudden your house burned to the ground for the Israelites. They would view that as God, are you with us? Are you mad at me? Are you angry at me? That's not the case. But that was their sounding board. That's what they were beginning to express. in fact, if you go to Lamentations 5, whoa, getting in in some wisdom books here, Rich. Lamentations 5, 20, 21 and 22 says, why have you forgotten us forever? Abandon us for our entire entire lives. Verse 21, Lord, restore to us yourself so that we may return, renew our days as in former times, unless you're completely, you have completely rejected and are intensely angry with us. That's how this feels. In fact, in verse two, scripture says this, remember your congregation, which you purchased long ago and redeemed as a tribe for your own possession. In other words, we're your people. Remember, you redeemed us. You've called us. Remember Mount Zion where you dwell? Remember the whole jealousy of one mountain, jealous of another mountain, because we know that the presence of God dwells here. Do you you remember this? But apparently in 587, 586, apparently you've forgotten this, God. Apparently you're okay with the temple being destroyed. Like, did you not remember? Like, this is them just sounding this thing out. I do like this. This phrase, remember your people, This helped me a ton. Warren Wiersbe defines it really well. He says it doesn't mean call to mind because God forgot them. It actually means in the Hebrew, we need you to go to work on behalf of us. So it's not saying, hey, God, you completely forgot about us. God, we need to pick up. We need you to pick up your game is what he's saying. God, I need you to intervene. In fact, that's why it says in verse three, make your way, which means lift up your feet to the everlasting ruins to all that the enemy has destroyed in the sanctuary. Here you have the, the desecration of the temple in Jerusalem. Like, God, I need you to do something about this. I need you to get up and walk. I need you to get going. Make your way, God, to this situation. In verse four, your adversaries, they've roared in the meeting place where you met with us. Like we had a special moment, a special time of worshiping you. Oh yeah, they're just having fun now in this place. And in fact, they've set up their emblems as signs. It's kind of a crazy picture, but the enemies are setting up shop in our home base. And in fact, it says, Scripture just says, It was like men in a, in a thicket of trees, wielding axes, then smashing all the carvings with hatchets and picks. They set your sanctuary on fire. They utterly destroyed the dwelling place of your name. They said in their hearts, let us oppress them relentlessly. They burned down every place throughout the land where God met with us. Every kind of meeting place, synagogue, gone. Meeting place, gone. There's no signs for us to see, the scripture says in verse nine. There's no longer a prophet, And none of us knows how long this will last. Can you go to Lamentations 2, 9, Kevin? Woe is us. The presence of God appears to be gone. That's what they're saying, basically. We have no home for you, God. In Lamentations 2, 9, Zion's gates have fallen to the ground. He's destroyed and shattered the bars on her gates. Her king and her leaders live among the nations. Instruction is no more. And even her prophets receive no vision from the Lord. This is a period of time, you guys, when the destruction felt there was no prophets around. That's what they're saying. We do know that there was the Jeremiah's. We do know that there's the Isaiah's. We do know that there's the Ezra's and the Nehemiah. We get that. But this is what their filter is. And they're saying, uh, how long is this going to last? And, you know, Kevin, if you go to verse one again of uh, Psalm 74, there's this, there's this mentality of forever. I mean, we've been cast off forever. If you go to verse three, how long is this going to last? Well, make your way to the everlasting ruins to all the enemy has destroyed in the the sanctuary. They're implying like we're going to be desolate forever. In verse 10, if you'll go there, this mentality is is how long will the foe mock? Will the enemy insult your name forever? Like, are we going to be humiliated forever? And then this process that Wearsby wraps all this up into in verse 19 of Psalm 74 is how long is this going to last? But it says, do not give the life of your dove to beasts. Do not forgive the lives of your poor people forever. Like this mentality is, is God, how long will this last? And their mindset is as even though they're making an appeal for this divine help, it sure feels like, God, you're not going to show up. They're blaming God. And yet at the same time, they're appealing to God. <laughs> you know, it's it's a true human appeal. In verse 10, it says, God, how long will the enemy mock? Will the foe insult your name forever? Verse 11, why do you hold back your hand, stretch out your right hand and destroy them? Like, can you please just, what are you waiting for, God? They clearly came in, destroyed the temple. This was our home base. We've been in captivity. Like, God, can you just please fight for us and take out the enemy? Anytime you talk about extending the right hand, I mean, you're talking about protection. You're talking about deliverance in verse 12, God, my king is from ancient times performing saving acts on the earth. Because of who you are, God, you can do this. You divided the sea with your strength. You smashed the heads of the sea monsters in the water. And just a kind of cool picture here, the seas and the sea monsters, the sea serpents, right? This is the mentality of like, uh, they joined together to fight against Baal. And now Baal defended and defeated. Hang on here. These false gods defeated the serpents in the sea. I mean, ultimately, we're saying, God, so he's speaking their language. God, I just need you to crush them all. I need you to crush every component. Baal beat these guys. I need you to beat everybody. You crushed the heads of Leviathan. You fed them to the creatures of the desert. Like, here's that that classic sea monster. Like, you can do this, God. Interesting enough, the Leviathan is, for some people, would represent a symbol for Satan. If you going to go to Isaiah 27, verse one, God, I need you to defeat the enemy. I need you to kick his rear. That's what I need you to do. It says on that day, Isaiah 27, one, on that day, the Lord with, with his harsh, great and strong sword will bring judgment on Leviathan, the fleeing serpent. Leviathan, the twisting serpent, he will slay the monster that is in the sea. God, I need you to do that. Again, here you have a prophet talking in the same time frame. Uh, and I think it's a cool picture. And they believe that this can happen. And so they're, they're really crying out to the Lord. And you have to wonder sometimes, Kevin, like, is this some of the first times they started to do this again? I don't know. You know, we even talked about the last couple of days that people were praying and crying so much that their their voice was hoarse. You opened up springs and streams. You dried up ever-flowing rivers. In other words, God... You've done the miraculous. God, I don't know if you remember, but you actually allow people to cross over the Red Sea. (laughs) God, I don't know if you remember, you allow people to cross over into the Jordan River, through the Jordan River. God, I don't know if you remember, but like, can you recall the time that they struck the rock and water came out? Like, God, you've done the miraculous. Paints an awesome picture. And he says in verse 16, the day is yours. Also, the night you established the moon and the sun. In other words, God, I see day, night, moon, sun. You created it all. You set all the boundaries of the earth. You made summer and winter. And I'm looking at a temple that's not here. Remember this, verse 18. They're making an appeal. This group is, cl- is clearly making an appeal to the divine Lord. The enemy has mocked Yahweh. And a foolish people has insulted your name. Do not give the life. Scripture continues on. Do not give the life of your dove to beasts. Do not forgive. Forget the lives of your poor people forever. Consider the covenant. Do you remember the covenant that's been established? For the dark places of the land are full of violence. Verse 21. Don't let the oppressed turn away in shame. Let the poor and the needy praise your name. Rise up, God, defend your case. And it's the same image, you guys. Like if you want to go back earlier here, let's see if I can find this here. If you go back in and said in, in verse three, make your way to the everlasting ruins. This is that mentality of of lifting up your feet. I need you to start getting up and walking. And then, Kevin, if you go back now, it says, In verse 22, God, I need you to stand up. I need you to rise up. I need you to defend your cause. You remember the insults, God, that that fools bring against you all day long, like these complaints that people are making? Do not forget the clamor of your adversaries, the turmoil of your opponents that goes up constantly. You know, why are they so upset? I don't know if you could think of your most prized possession and maybe it really is the house for us. I don't know. I mean, for me, I'd like to say I'd be absolutely OK if I didn't have a house. But then when I don't have a house, you know what I'd be like? I do not have a house? Like we've been talking. How about this one? We've been talking. My wife is having her college buddies come over. i got to find a place to live with my my four kids Thursday, Friday, Saturday night. Is that a bad thing? No, absolutely not. I want my wife to have a blast with her college ladies that they can come and have a place. But I just said, hey, we need to go find a place. Kevin, it's not like I have homes that I can just go find a family of five to jump into. You would feel kind of restless. And in fact, you almost feel like, eh, who's going to take care of me, right? That's kind of that feel. So whatever that prized possession that would represent the presence of God in your life, Imagine if it was just completely stripped away because that's really what happened. And I want to I want to show you the value and the importance of the temple. We've touched on this a couple times over the over the year and a half of Revive School or year and plus. And I, I just felt like when I was reading about the destruction of the temple, I felt like the Lord just said, go there again. I want people to understand as we get. As we walk in these end times, and remember, Paul said that, so I'm going to say it. As we walk in these end times, we got to be ready. So, Kevin, if you, you have a picture of us, I believe you have a picture, not of us, but I think you have, did you find the tabernacle one? Can you go to the tabernacle? So now remember this, okay, in Exodus, uh, here you're going to have uh, the tabernacle. This would have been in Moses' time, okay? I'm going to simplify a ton. This tabernacle would have been used for years. So these, this tabernacle was going on. It went into the land of Israel. In fact, in 1 Samuel, it went to Shiloh. And then David, remember this, he conquered Jerusalem in roughly 1004 BC. In 2 Samuel 5, he took overtook the Jebusites. Right, Kevin? He took overtook the Jebusites. So what does he do? He establishes first uh, an altar and then he moves the, the Ark of the Covenant to Mount Moriah. So the tabernacle is with Moses and his folks. With time, Kevin, where does this go? It goes to Jerusalem. It goes to Jerusalem. So there's a home base that started through Moses. David then brings it eventually. And I, I'm totally flying through that story. <laughs> We're from Moses to David. David overtakes Jerusalem. He establishes an altar. Mo- Moses, uh, I'm sorry, he moves the Ark of the Covenant to Mount Moriah. And the crazy story about the Mount Moriah story is, is that he buys the threshing floor. And it's the same place that Abraham attempted to sacrifice his son. Like, this has an incredible place. And then here's the crazy part. In First Chronicles 28:19, David plans to build the house of God. Because why? Rich, can you help me? Hel- help our listeners. Why does he go from uh, the ark, the tabernacle mentality, to a permanent house of God? What would be his reasoning? Any thoughts? Uh, because he just wanted to secure the promised land, that Jerusalem being God's holy city, that's where he wanted uh, his presence to dwell. That's what, in David's mind. In David's mind, the city of Zion, the city of Jerusalem, right? The city of David is going to become the permanent place for the Lord. Moses was known as walking around the wilderness, Right with the tabernacle forever and ever and ever. And then the ark was passed through, the ark was passed through, the ark was passed through. Finally, David said, hey, I want to put the ark in a permanent place. This is a temporary place. And so David had a plan. You want to go to the next picture here? Uh, this is, it says Solomon's temple, but guess who designed it? <laughs> David. David said, I want a permanent place for where the ark can be. The ark of the covenant. I want a permanent, a permanent place, excuse me, where I can put this place right here. This little guy right here. Well, this little guy was traveling earlier, wasn't he not? This little guy has been around for a long time. I'm not minimizing that. Just I'm just saying this is where, OK, this is the permanent place. So in the Israelites mind, you guys have to understand something. In 586, when, when the whole temple is destroyed, it's almost like God's destroying their history. Like, that's the mentality. That's the thought process. Wait a minute. Moses and all the way through our patriarchs. And then David, David's fighting. He brings it here. And so as David has these plans, he's not allowed to build because of the bloodshed. And so his son Solomon is allowed to build the first temple in 1 Kings 7, 48. So Solomon builds the temple. So what you have here is the first temple. Okay. Really, it's Solomon. Okay, so we know that David designed it. Okay, let me just put this. This is a bad way of doing this, but tabernacle, and then you have the ark. It's kind of the progression: <laughs> tabernacle, the ark. Well, let me just put it this way, even Moses, David, right, and then here you have. We'll just even do this: Jerusalem. It's not a professional timeline, but I think you get the picture here. So in this progression, David uh, Solomon builds a temple. In First Kings 9.3, roughly, roughly 950 B.C., okay? Roughly, King Solomon dedicates the first temple, okay? It's a big deal. So Solomon dedicates the first temple roughly 930, uh, uh, 950 B.C. Temple worship begins for a long time. Like four hundred plus years, temple worship actually begins. At that point, okay, so you have four hundred and twenty-six years of temple worship. Kevin, the church that I go to, we've, we're getting ready to celebrate thirty years. Thirty. Four hundred is a long. Four hundred is a long time of like, oh yeah, and in that process, it goes to five hundred and eighty-six BC, which is where the Babylonians. Destroy the temple. Remember, the Jews are driven into exile. Daniel prays, right? So now we're going to enter into the the second process here. Again, we're going through basically the Old Testament right now. But again, you have to understand Psalm 74. These people are, it looks like they've lost everything. Who they are as people, their history, their Lord, like, this is the process that they're going through. They're driven into exile. Their temple is destroyed. Daniel begins in Daniel 6, 11. He actually begins to, to pray and head into Jerusalem. And so here you have Daniel praying, seeking the Lord on this. And in this process, King Cyrus actually allows, this is so crazy to me, King Cyrus actually allows the rebuilding of the altar. Okay, so in Ezra 1-2, here you have the beginning process, if you want to go there, Kevin. Here you have the rebuilding of the altar in Ezra 1-2. King Cyrus says, yes, the Lord God of heaven has given me all the kingdoms of the earth and has appointed me to build him a house at Jerusalem in Judah. So all of a sudden you have, I'll just put this in here, Daniel praying, <laughs> right? And then you have rebuilding the altar in Ezra one, two. But Kevin, at this point, this is all they know. They don't know about the, the Daniel praying. They don't know about rebuilding the altar. In fact, uh, if you want to go to Haggai 1, 2 through 4, here you have Haggai. He exhorts the people. So it says, The word of the Lord came through Haggai the prophet. Verse 2, uh, it says this, Speak to Zerubbabel. Son of Shealtol, governor of Judah, to the high priest Joshua, son of Jehozadak, and, and to the remnant of the people who is left among you, who saw this house in its former glory. How does it look to you now? Doesn't it seem like nothing to you? Verse four. Even so, be strong, Zerubbabel, the Lord's declaration. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land. The Lord's declaration. Work, for I am with you. The declaration of the Lord of hosts. And so, what do you know? You're already beginning to see, Kevin, when it says exhort the people, what is he, what is he saying? Uh, I'm rebuilding the yeah. temple. Rebuild the temple, guys. Let's do this. Let's do this. In fact, it jumps into Ezra's three, two. The temple cornerstone is placed. Ezra then actually begins to teach his people. And what do you know? The second, the second temple is being rebuilt. Again, I am flying through this process. But I want to show you guys this process of, uh, in fact, uh, work, if you, well, if you go to Psalm 48, verse two, please. Psalm 48, verse two. What you're going to see is, is uh, rising splendidly. It is the joy of the whole earth. Mount Zion on the slopes of the north. It is the city of the great king. Like this is the mentality that when it, Mount Zion is at its glory, it's when the temple is there. Mount Zion and the presence of God. And so, guys, we, we need to rebuild. This is the mentality uh, in the temple. OK, let me keep going here. In 70 A.D., OK, and let me just say this, Zerubbabel rebuilt. OK, so you have Solomon, first temple, Zerubbabel, second temple. OK, I think we're all on the same page. In 70 AD, guess what? Kevin, Do you remember what happened? It was destroyed again. Romans destroyed. Some would call the Zerubbabel Temple, just FYI, the Herod Temple as well. Romans came in and destroyed it. So now here's the deal. This is the crazy, fun, giddy up, let's go. The mentality is Jesus even said that the second temple was going to be destroyed. Matthew 24, one through two, right? Matthew 24, one through two. As Jesus left and was going out of the temple complex, his disciples came and he called his attention to the temple buildings. Then he replied, don't you see all these things? I assure you, not one stone will be left here on another that will not be thrown down. So Jesus, Jesus clearly prophesied, right? That that second temple was going to be destroyed. Now, in this process, we are waiting for the third temple. I know this sounds weird, Because you're kind of like as a Gentile, as a Christian, as a believer in Jesus, you're like, I don't need a temple to do this, right? That's the mentality. But the scripture is clear about this, you guys, is that there will be a period of peace. In this period of peace, right now, the Dome of the Rock is clearly on the Temple Mount owned by the Muslims. There's also Al-Aqsa Mosque. So you have Al-Aqsa Mosque, you have the Dome of the Rock. Somehow, some way, peace is going to come into the land. As this peace ushers into the land, guess what's going to be rebuilt? This temple is going to be rebuilt on the Temple Mount. That's what they would prophesy. That's what the word is. And yet in this, there's going to be an abomination of desolation. The Antichrist, who helps usher in the peace deal, is actually going to actually stand in the temple. So this third temple, even though the first one is destroyed, the second one was destroyed, the third one is coming. If you go to Matthew 24, verse 15, Kevin, Matthew 24, verse 15. So when you see the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of by the prophet Daniel standing in the holy place, that's what he's talking about. When this thing is rebuilt, and I'm just going to tell you now, I have been, guys, in Revive School, we have seen there is the Sanhedrin since established since 2005, back in Israel, the Sanhedrin and folks are ready to rebuild the temple. There are Jewish belief, Jewish people in Israel that are ready to rebuild this temple. In fact, Rich, some of the members of the Knesset, Yehuda Glick, I mean, part of his platform is, is rebuild the temple. I mean, these are people that we've been in rooms with. And so like, to me, this is not some pipe dream. This is not some weird prophetic thing that's it's way out there. This needs to be rebuilt. Yes, so the Antichrist can come, but guess what? It's so the coming of the Messiah comes. See, for the first three and a half years, there's going to be peace. And in fact, 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 through 4 says the Antichrist is going to come in and and usher himself into this place. But for the last three and a half years of the seven, guess what? All hell is going to break out. (laughs) But one of the indicators, one of the indicators is that when you see this third temple built, folks, you better not be crying out at the end. You need to be crying out at the beginning. And that's really what we see here is that these people are crying out, God, where are you in all of this? God, we don't see your presence. I want to just tell you now, just because there's no temple doesn't mean God's presence isn't here. God's presence is here through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. He's saying, I'm offering you presence right now. If you trust in the ultimate sacrifice, I will give you peace. And as we know that the coming Messiah is coming, guess what? So is the temple. And I just think for me, it's a crazy picture that is coming. That's biblical. It's accurate. And you might even start seeing different religions working together to get that third temple built. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I do know that the temple is going to be rebuilt. And when it does, folks, we better be ready. This is Psalm 74. Man, who would have thought talking about the destruction of the temple would lead to this? But my hope and my prayer is that this is encouraging to you. Stay on your knees, be on watch, and be on guard for His return. Thanks.